0: Chapter four of Mrs Warren's Daughter This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Mrs Warren's Daughter by Sir Harry Johnston Chapter four PONTISTRAD On a morning in mid july nineteen oh one, Mr DV Williams bicycled to Paddington Station from New Square Lincoln's Inn. The brown canvas case fitted to the frame of his male bicycle contained a change of clothes, a suit of pajamas, a safety razor, toothbrush, hairbrush, and comb. He himself was wearing a well-cut dark grey suit, Norfolk jacket, knickerbockers, and thick stockings. Having had his bicycle labeled Swansea, he entered a first-class compartment of the South Wales Express though not lavish on his expenditure, he was travelling first because he still felt a little uneasy in the presence of men, mostly men of the rougher type. Perhaps there was a second class in those days, there may be still, but I have a distinct impression that Mr. Vavasour Williams, law student, travelled first on this occasion, for this was how he met a person of whom his friend Honoria Fraser had often spoken, Michael Rossiter, he did not, of course, till after they had passed Swindon, know the name of his travelling companion. Five minutes before the train left Paddington, there entered his compartment of the corridor carriage a tall man with a short curly black beard and nice eyes, eyes like agates in colour. There was a touch of grey about the temples. Otherwise, the head hair, when he changed from a hard felt hat to a soft travelling cap, showed as dark as the beard and moustache. His frame was strong, muscular, and loosely built, and he had clever nervous hands with fingers somewhat spatulate. His clothes did not much suggest the tourist. They seemed more like a too well-worn town morning suit of dark blue serge, as though he had left home in an absent-minded mood, intent on some hurriedly conceived plan. He cast one or two quick glances at David, once, indeed, as they got out into full daylight, away from tunnels and high walls, letting his glance lengthen into a searching look. Then he busied himself with a number of scientific periodicals he had brought to read in the train. Impelled, he knew not why, to provoke conversation, David asked, quite needlessly, this is the South Wales Express, I mean the Swansea train, is it not? Blackbeard was struck with the unusualness of the voice, a very pleasant one to come from the lips of a man, and replied, It is, at least I got in under that impression, as I am intending to go to Swansea, but in any case the ticket inspector is sure to come along the corridor presently, and will make sure then. We stop at Swindon, I think, so if we've made a mistake, we can rectify it there." Then after a pause, he resumed, "'I think you said you were going to Swansea. Might I ask if you are bound on the same errand as I am? I mean, are you one of Boyd Dawkins' party to examine the new cave on the Gower Coast?' D.V.W. Oh, no, I—I am going inland from Swansea to—to to have a bicycling tour.' I'm going to a place on the river. I don't know how to pronounce it, at least I've forgotten. The river's name is spelt L-L-W-C-H-W-R. Blackbeard. You should change your mind and turn south. Come and see these extraordinary caves. Are you interested in paleontology? David hesitates. What careless people call prehistoric animals or prehistoric man? They have been ridiculously misled by comic artists in punch, who imagine a few thousand years of prehistory would take us back to the Cretaceous period—really four or five million years before man came into existence, when this country and most other lands swarmed with preposterous reptiles that had become extinct long before the age of mammals. However, I don't suppose this interests you. I only spoke because I thought you might be one of Boyd Dawkins's pupils— or one of mine. David, on the contrary, I am very, very much interested in the subject, but I am afraid it has lain rather outside my line of studies so far. Perhaps I will turn south when I have seen something of the part of Glamorgan I am going to. I am really Welsh in origin, but I know Wales imperfectly because I left it when I was quite young. This'll be good practice, Vivie's brain voice was saying to herself. I've returned recently from South Africa. "'Blackbeard, what were you doing there?' "'David, I—I I was in the army, at least in a police force. I got wounded, had to go into hospital, necrosis of the jaw. I came home when I got well.' "'Blackbeard, necrosis of the jaw. That was a bad thing, but you seem to have got over it very well. I can't see any scar from where I am.' "'David, oh, no, it was only a slight touch, and I dare say I exaggerate. I've left the army, however, and now I'm reading law. Blackbeard thinks at this point that he has gone far enough in cross-examination and returns to his periodicals and pamphlets, but there's something he likes, a wistfulness in the young man's face, and he can't quite detach his mind to the presence of Paleolithic men in South Wales. At Swindon they both get out. There was still the lingering practice of taking lunch there, "'have a hasty lunch together and more talk, and share a bottle of claret. "'On returning to their compartment, Rossiter offers David a cigar, "'but the young man prefers smoking a cigarette. "'By this time they have exchanged names. "'DVW, however, is reticent about the South African War, "'says it was all too horrible for words and should never have taken place, "'and he can't bear to think about it, and was knocked out quite early in the day.' now all he asks is peace and quiet and the opportunity of studying law in london so that he may become some day a barrister rossiter says after more talk pity you're going in for the bar we've too many lawyers already you should take up science and as far as the severn tunnel discourses illuminatingly on biology mineralogy astronomy chemistry as david vivian had never heard them treated previously in the Severn Tunnel the noise of the train silences both professor and listener, who willingly takes up the position of pupil. Between Newport and Neath, David thinks he has never met any one so interesting. It has been his first real induction into the greatest of all books, the book of the earth itself. Rossiter, on his part, feels indefinably attracted by this young expatriated Welshman, David does not say much, but what he does contribute to the conversation shows him a quick thinker and a person of trained intelligence. Yet somehow the professor of biology in the University of London, and many other things beside, FRS, FZS, FLS, gold medalist of this and that academy and university abroad, does not see him as a soldier or a non-commissioned officer in the British Army. Law student is a more likely qualification. However, as they near Swansea, Michael Rossiter gives Mr. D. V. Williams his card. D. V. W. regrets he cannot reciprocate, but says he has hardly settled down yet to any address, and though as a rule he is taciturn in trains and cautious about making acquaintances, expresses the hope he will call at one Park Crescent some afternoon. My wife and I are generally at home on Thursdays when all are back in town for the autumn. They separate at Swansea Station. David spends the night at Swansea, employing some of his time there by inquiring at the Terminus Hotel as to the roads that lead up the valley of the Le what sort of place is Pontystrad, the bridge by the meadow, whether anyone knows the clergyman of that parish, Mr. Er, Howell Vaughan Williams. The Boots, or one of the Bootses, it appears, comes from the neighborhood of Pontistrad and knows the Reverend Gentleman by sight. A nice old gentleman has heard that he's aged much of late years since his son ran away and disappeared out in Africa. His sight was getting bad, Boots understood, and he could not see to do all the reading and writing he was once so great at. After a rather wakeful night, during which D. V. Williams is more disturbed by his thoughts and schemes than by the continual noises of the trains passing into and out of Swansea, he rises early and drafts a telegram. Reverend Howell Williams, Vicarage, Pontystrad, Glamorgan. Hope return home this evening. All is well. David then pays his bill and tries to mount his bicycle the wrong way to the great amusement of the boots then remembers the right way and rides off with the confidence of one long accustomed to bicycling through the crowded traffic of swansea in the direction of fleucheur it was a very hot ride through a very lovely country now largely spoilt by mining and metallurgy along a road that was constantly climbing up steeply to descend abruptly. David, of course, could have travelled by rail to the Pontiffnon station, and thence have ridden back three miles to Pontystrad, but he wished purposely to bicycle the whole way from Swansea, and take in with the eye the land of his father's. He was postponing as long as possible the test of meeting his father— the father of the young ne'er-do-well who had been lying for months in a South African field hospital the year before. He halted for a cup of tea at Flanlilal wales has many place names like this—and, being there not many miles from Pontystrad, was able to glean more recent and more circumstantial information about the man he proposed to greet as father. At half-past six that evening, having perspired and dried perspired and dried strained a tendon and acquired a headache he halted before the gate of the vicarage garden at Pontystrad having been followed thither to his secret annoyance by quite a troop of village boys of whom he had imprudently asked the way as they talked welsh he could not tell what they were saying but conjectured that his telegram had arrived and that he was expected standing under the porch of the house was an old man with a long white beard like a druid in spectacles shading his eyes and expectant a bicycle might prove an encumbrance in the ensuing interview so david hastily propped his against a fuchsia hedge and hurried forward to meet the old man who extended hands to envelop him not trusting to his eyes an old rosy-cheeked woman in a sunbonnet came up behind the old man shrieked out master david and only waited with twitching fingers for her own onslaught till the father had first embraced his prodigal son this was done at least three times accompanied with tears blessings prayers the uplifting of poor filmy eyes to a cloudless heaven diokhi du ejaculations as to the wonder of it fra maimol who an mird god's providence his ways are past finding out my own dear boy Willy, then the old woman took her turn master david eh? but you're changed mun then a lot of welsh exclamations which until the welsh can agree to spell their tongue phonetically i shall not insert five years since you left us Eh, and I never thought to see you no more. "'Some said you was dead, "'others that you was taken prisoner by the wild boars. "'But here you are, and welcome indeed.' "'Then Master David between the embraces was scanned, "'a little more critically than by the purblind father, "'but with distinct approval. "'At last David stood apart in the stone-flagged hall of the vicarage, his abundant hair was rumpled, his face was stained by other people's tears, his collar, tie, dress disordered, and his heart touched. It was a rare experience in his twenty-four years of life—he guessed that should be his age—to find himself really taken on trust, really desired and loved. Honoria's friendship was a pure and precious thing, but in its very purity carefully restrained praddy's kindness and the office-boy's worship had both been gratifying to vivie's self-esteem but both had to be kept at bay somehow the love of a father and of an old nurse were of a different category to these other contacts all these thoughts passed through david's brain in thirty seconds he shook himself straightened himself smiled adequately and tried to live up to the situation "'Dear Father, and dear Nanny,' a bold but successful deduction, "'how sweet of you both, greeting me like this. "'I've come home a very different David to the one that left you, "'what was it, five, six years ago, to go to Mr. Praed's studio? "'I've learnt a lot in the interval.' "'But I'm so sick of the past, I don't want to talk about it more than I can help, "'and I've been in very queer health since I got ill and wounded in South Africa. "'My memory has gone for many things. "'I'm afraid I've forgotten all my Welsh nanny, but it'll soon come back, "'that is, if I may stay here a bit,' exclamations from father and nurse. "'This is your home, Davy Bach. "'I'm not going to stay too long this time, because I've got my living to earn in London.' "'Did you never hear anything from me, from South Africa, or the war office, or your old college chum, Mr. Gardner?' "'I heard my own dear boy,' said the Reverend Howell, again taking him in his arms, in a renewed spasm of affection. "'I heard you were wounded and very ill in the camp hospital at Colesburg. It was a nursing sister, I think, who sent me the information. I wrote several times to the war office.' My letters were acknowledged, that was all. Then Sam Gardner wrote to me from Margate and said his son had been in the same hospital with you. Later on I saw in a Bristol paper that this hospital, Colesburg, had fallen into the hands of the Boers and the Cape insurgents. Then I said to myself, My poor boy's been taken prisoner, and as time went on, My poor boy's dead, or he would have written to me. Here the Reverend Howell stopped to wipe his eyes and blow his nose. David, touched through his armor of cynicism, said, Nanny retiring to prepare the evening meal, "'Father, dear, though I don't want to refer too often to the past, I behaved disgracefully some time ago, and the colonies seemed my only chance of setting myself right.' I did manage to get away from the Boers, but I had not the courage to present myself before you till I had done something to regain your good opinion. I have got now good employment in London, and I am even reading up law. We will talk of that by and by, but I tell you now, from my heart, I am a different David to the one you knew, and you shall never regret taking me back." Both father and son were crying now for emotion especially in Wales is catching. But the father laughed through his tears and incoherently thanked God for the return of the prodigal, a fine upstanding lad, whole and sound. No taint about you, Davy, I'll be bound. Why, your voice alone shows you've been a clean liver. It's music in my ears, and if I could see as well as I can hear, I'd wager you're a handsome lad and have lost much of your foolishness. Davy, lad,' lowering his voice, "'you've no cause to be anxious about Jenny. "'She—she she had a boy, but we got her married to a miner. "'I made it right with him. "'She has another child now, but they're being brought up together. "'We won't refer to it again. "'She lives twenty miles from here at Gower, and—and—there's an end of it. "'Now you won't run away back to London till you're obliged. "'Where's your luggage? At Pontiffnum?' "'No,' said David, a little nonplussed at evidences of his dissolute past, and this unexpected fatherhood assumed on his account, "'I haven't more luggage than what is contained in my bicycle bag. But don't let that concern you. I'll go over to Swansea one day, or some nearer town, and buy what may be necessary, and I'll stay with you all my holidays, tell you all my plans, and even after I go back to London I'll always come down here when I can get away.' For the present I am going simply to enjoy myself for the first time in my life. The last four years will look on as a horrid dream. What a paradise you live in! His eye ranged over the two-storied, soundly-built stone house facing south, with mountains behind and the western sun throwing shafts of warm yellow-green over the lawn and the flower-beds over clumps of elms in the middle-southern distance that might have been planted by the Romans, who loved this part of Wales. Bees, butterflies, and swallows were in the air, the distant lowing of kine, the scent of the roses, the clatter in the kitchen where Nanny, aided by another female servant, was preparing supper, even the barking of a watchdog, aware that something unusual was going on, "'completed the impression of the blissful countryside. "'What a paradise you live in! How could I have left it?' "'Ay, dear lad, I doubt not it looks strange and new to you "'since you've been in South Africa and London, "'but it'll soon seem home-like enough, "'and now you'll like to see your room and have a wash before supper. "'Tom, the gardener, shall take in your bicycle and give it a rub-over.' I've still got the old one here in the coach-house, which you left behind. Tom's new since you left. He's not so clever with the bees as your old friend Evan was, but he's a steadier lad. I fear me Evan led you into some of your scrapes. The fault was partly mine. I shouldn't have let you run wild so much, but I was so wrapped up in my studies. Well, well... David was careful to play his part sufficiently to say, when shown into his old bedroom, just the same, father, scarcely a bit altered, but isn't the bed moved to another place? "'You're right, my boy. Ah, your memory can't be as bad as you pretend. Yes, we moved it there, Bridget and I, because the archdeacon came once to stay and complained of the draft from the window.' The deuce he did,' said David.' "'Well, I shan't complain of anything.' "'His father left him, and he then proceeded to lay out the small store of things he had brought in his bicycle bag, giving special prominence to the shaving-tackle. He had just finished a summary toilet when there was a tap on the door, and suppressing an exclamation of impatience, for he dearly wanted time and solitude for collected thought. He admitted Bridget. "'Well, Nanny,' he said, "'come for a gossip?' "'Yes, I can hardly bear to take my eyes off you, for you've changed, you have changed. And yet, I don't know, you don't look much older than you was when you went off to London to be an architect. Your cheek,' lifting her hand and stroking it while David tried hard not to wince, "'your cheek's as soft and smooth as it was then, as any young girl's. Wherever you've been, the world has not treated you very bad.' "'No one would have dreamt you'd been all the way to South Africa "'to them wild boars, but some men wear wonderful well. "'I suppose your father give you a bit of a shock. "'He's much older-looking, and he wasn't suffering to speak of "'from his sight when you went away. "'And now he can hardly see to read, even with his new spectole. "'Old Dr. Murgatroyd can't do nothing for him, "'advises him to go see some Bristol or London eye doctor.' But after you seemed to disappear in Africa, he had no heart for trying to get his sight back. He'd sit for hours doing nothing but think and talk, all about old Welsh times or Bible times. Of course, he knows his services by heart. His only job was with the lessons. But you see, he'd often only have me and the girl and Tom in church. There's a new preacher up at Little Bethel that's drawn all the village folk to hear him but your father'll be a different man now. You see, he'll be like a boy again, and if you could stay long enough, you might take him to Bristol, or Clifton, I think it was, to see if they could do anything about his eyes. The past's the past, and we aren't going to say no more about it, and now you've turned over a new leaf. Somehow I can't feel you're the same person. Don't go worrying yourself about that slut Jenny. She's all right.' After your baby was born at her mother's, she went into service at Flanelli, and there she met a coal miner who's at work on the new coal mine in Gower. He wasn't a bad sort of chap, and when he'd heard her story, he said for a matter of twenty pound he'd marry her and take over her baby. So your father paid the twenty pounds, and if she'll only keep straight, she'll be none the worse for what's happened. "'I always said it was my fault. "'It was the year I had to go away to my sister, "'and your father had to go to St. David's, "'and after all, if it hadn't a been you, "'it'd a been young Evan. "'Why, there's been some girls in the village "'have had two and even three babies "'before they settled down and got married. "'Now we must dish up supper. "'I've given you lots and lots of pancakes "'and the cream and honey you was always so fond of, "'you bad boy.' "'She ventured a kiss on the smooth cheek of her nursling "'and heavily descended the stairs. "'David had a very bad night "'because to please his old nurse "'he had eaten too many of her pancakes with cream and honey. "'In fact, he had at last to tiptoe down "'through a sleeping house cautiously "'to let himself out and relieve his feelings "'by pacing the veranda till the nausea passed off. "'After that, he lay long awake "'trying to size up the situation.' he got his thoughts at last into some such shape as this. It's clear I was a regular young rake before I was sent up to London to be Proddy's pupil. Apparently I seduced the housemaid or kitchen-maid. My father's establishment seems to consist of nanny who is housekeeper and cook, and a maid who does housework and helps in the kitchen. And this unfortunate girl who fell a prey to my solicitations, or more likely misled me, "'afterwards gave birth to a child attributed either to my fatherhood or the gardener's. "'But the matter has been hushed up by a payment of twenty pounds, "'and the girl is now married and respectable, and ought to give no further trouble. "'I suppose that was a climax of naughtiness on my part, "'and the main reason why I was sent away. "'The two people who matter most have received me without doubt or question— but the one to be wary about is the old nurse, whose very affection makes her inconveniently inquisitive. Mem, get up and lock my door, or else she may come in with hot water or something in the morning and take me by surprise. The original David is evidently dead and well out of the way. There can be no harm in my taking his place, at any rate for a few years. It may give the old man new life and genuine happiness.' for I shall play my part as a good son, and certainly shall cost him nothing. I'll begin by taking him to an oculist and finding out what is wrong with his eyes, probably only cataract. It may be possible to effect a cure, and he can then finish his book on the history of Glamorganshire from earliest times. Must remember, by the by, that the Welsh change most of the old M's into F's, and that this country is called Vurgenug, with the W pronounced like OO, and the F like V. Must learn some Welsh. What a nuisance. But nothing is worth doing if it isn't done well. If I can keep this deception up, this would be a jolly place to come to for occasional holidays, and I simply couldn't have a better reference to respectability, sex, and station with the benchers of Lincoln's Inn than my father, the Reverend Howell Williams, vicar of Pontistrad. They'll probably want a second or a third reference. Can I rely on Praddy? Is it possible I might work up my acquaintance with that professor whom I met in the train? I'll see. Perhaps I could attend classes of his if he lectures in London. Then the plotting David fell asleep at last, and woke to hear the loud tapping on his door at eight o'clock of Bridget, rather surprised to find the door locked, but entering, when he had garbed himself in his Norfolk jacket and opened the door, with hot water for shaving and a cup of tea. It was a hot July morning, and while he dressed, the southern breeze came in through the open window, scented by roses and the lemon verbena growing against the wall. His father was pacing up and down the hall and the veranda, restlessly awaiting him, fearing lest the whole episode of the day before might not have been one of his waking dreams. His failing sight made reading almost a torture and writing more a matter of feeling than visual perception. Time, therefore, hung wearisomely on his hands. Bridget was not a good reader, besides being too busy a housekeeper to have time for it. Had David really returned to him, would he sometimes read aloud and sometimes write his letters? or even the finish of his history. Too good to be true. But there was David coming down the stairs, greeting him with tender affection. Read and write for you, father? Of course. But before I go back to London, and unfortunately I must go back early in August, I'm going to take you to see an oculist, Bristol or Clifton, perhaps, and get your sight restored." After breakfast, however, the father decided he must take David round the village to see and be seen. David was not very anxious to go, but as the Reverend Howell looked disappointed, he gave in. It had to be got over some time or other. So they first visited the church, a building in the form of a cross with an imposing battlemented tower. Here David asked to inspect the registers, and found therein while the old gentleman silently prayed or sat in mute thankfulness in a sunny corner the record of his father's marriage to mary vavasour twenty-six years before mary was twenty-three and the reverend howell forty at the time and of his own baptism two years afterwards then issuing from the church father and son walked through the village the father pointing out the changes for better or worse that had taken place in four years and not noticing the vagueness of his son's memories of either persons or features in the landscape the village like most welsh villages was of whitewashed cottages slate roofed but it was embowered with that luxuriance of foliage and flowers which makes Glamorganshire, out of sight of the coal mining seem an earthly paradise every now and then the reverend howell would nudge his son and say that man who spoke was old Goronvi, as big a scoundrel now as he was five years ago. Or he would introduce David to a villager of whom he thought more favourably. If she were a young woman, she generally smirked and looked sideways. If a man, he grunted out a Welsh greeting or only gave a nod of surly recognition. Several professed fluent recognition, but some said in Welsh, he wasn't a bit like the Mr. David they had known, whereupon the Reverend Howell laughed and said, Wait till you have been out to South Africa fighting for your king and country and see if that doesn't change you. The visit to the Clifton oculist resulted in a great success. The oculist, after two or three days' preparation in a nursing home, performed the operation and advised David then to leave his father for a few days promising, if any unfavorable symptoms supervened, he would telegraph, so that he might pass the time in sleep as much as possible, and with no mental stimulation. During this interval, David transferred himself and his bicycle to Swansea, and thence visited the Gower Caves, where he ran up against Rossiter once more, and spent delightful hours being inducted into paleontology by Rossiter and his companions then back to, by contrast, Borsum, Clifton, except for its zoological gardens. After another week, his father was well enough to be escorted home. In another fortnight he might be able to use his eyes, and soon after that would be able to read and write in moderation. But David could not wait to see his intervention crowned with complete success, he must keep faith with Honoria, who would be wanting a long holiday in Switzerland, and their joint business must not suffer by his absence from London. There were indeed times when the peace and comfort and beauty of Pontistrad got hold of him, and he asked himself, Why not settle down here for the rest of his life? Put aside other ambitions. Attempt no more than this initial fraud. Leave the hateful world wherein women had only three chances to men's seven then there would arise once more fierce ambition the resolve to avenge vivian warren for her handicaps the desire to keep tryst with honoria and to enjoy more of rossiter's society besides he ran a constant risk of discovery under the affectionate but puzzled inspection of the old nurse in her mind residence amongst the wild boars service in an army travel and adventure generally during an absence of five years, as well as emergence from adolescence into manhood, accounted for much change in physical appearance, but not sufficiently for the extraordinary change in morale. The contrast between the vicious, untidy, selfish, insolent boy that had gone off to London with ill-concealed glee in 1896 and this grave-mannered polite considerate pleasant-voiced young man who had already managed to find good employment in london before he revealed himself anew to his delighted father these doubts david read in nanny's mind but he would not give them time and chance to become more precise and formulated gradually she would become used to the seeming miracle in the meantime, he would return to London, and, if his father's recovery was complete, he would not revisit home till Christmas. As soon as he was able to write, his father would forward him the copy of his birth certificate, and he would likewise answer, in the sense agreed upon, any letters of reference or inquiry, would state the apprenticeship to architecture with prod A.R.A., and then the impulse to go out to South Africa, the slight wound, David insisted it was slight, a fuss about nothing, because he had inquired about necrosis of the jaw and realized that even if he had recovered, it would have left indisputable marks on face and throat. In fact, there were so many complications involved in an escape from the Boers, only to be justified under the code of honor prevailing in wartime, that he would rather his father said little or nothing about South Africa, but left him to explain all that a point of view readily grasped by the Reverend Howell, who, to get such a son back, would even have not thought too badly of desertion, and the negative letters of the War Office said nothing of that. So early in September, after the most varied, anxious, successful six weeks in his life, so far, David Vavasor Williams returned to Fig Tree Court, Inner Temple. End of Chapter 4